The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com. yoga.com Good. So, um, God help, God speed, God bless, May for the second month and up. I hope only pupils from the level two and up are here. So, um, God help, God speed, God bless, May from the level two and up are who um, God help God evening has a theme it starts with a theme unlike last week when we focused on directly on questions and answers and this theme is related to the previous presentation which I did two weeks ago about the transfiguration the phenomenon the process of transfiguration these are two tantrically connected, tantrically related phenomena and the second of them is the consecration. Especially in tantric yoga but this one is of much greater import because it refers to karma yoga and it refers therefore to the daily life, to our whole life and activity. Um, you hear the words consecration and transfiguration. Tonight let's refresh a few things about consecration. Usually in our karma yoga lectures from the first level of yoga the subject is approached very gently because there is no time that's as you remember that's a very long lecture actually it will happen tomorrow again for the first level in Ananda and the first in that first level we reach to the consecration only towards the end of the lecture and there we touch it briefly we say what the consecration is approximately how to do it and we insist on the importance that if you want to do karma yoga whatever you want to turn into a karma yoga shall be done with consecration that consecration is compulsory and we advise you to start doing small acts of karma yoga here and there selfless service either you do it in the seva day of the school or you like to make yourself useful in some other ways um, therefore we don't touch too much on the consecration tonight before you can express your questions i'm sure some of you started doing consecration already and probably some of you who have never been to late night meetings or who haven't been for too long time in the yoga environment you even are a bit fuzzy unclear about it you don't know what to believe about it for the beginners the consecration is a very radical a very revolutionary process which can change your life and pre pre precisely because of this it is revolutionary much is at stake and thus what I'm saying is that um, consecration has lots of pitfalls lots of ups and downs many things require clarification so tonight we go a little bit deeper because many people have expressed the desire to hear 
more about consecration. What I'm going to say in the first half of this presentation is going to give you food for thoughts and is going to open a lot of avenues for you to think in terms of karma yoga and consecration. First of all, to introduce the concept, consecration means, as all of you should remember, and if not, you really missed that lecture and you have to catch it again sooner or later, consecration means offering the fruits of one's actions to God. I'm giving a very, very simplified definition. Remember, offering the fruits of one's actions, something which I intend to do, it's very much a matter of intent. It is a matter of intention. Consecration expresses first and foremost an intention. I intend to do an action. And more than that, on top of it, I intend to consecrate the fruits of this action to the divine. Therefore, this concept is coming, of course, from the very basic ideas that actions can chain us or not through the karma which they produce. Every action produces a reaction, therefore every action produces a disturbance in our karmic package, in our karmic potential, deposit, reservoir, and therefore actions, even excellent actions, can chain us to this manifestation, to this world, either to the physical level of this manifestation or to the astral, mental, subtle, therefore, levels of this manifestation <coughs> or even to the causal levels of this manifestation. And thus, actions become the harbingers of imprisonment, of bondage. And therefore, since we all live in this world, and especially in a tantric school which is advising you to keep living in the world and interacting with the world, playing with the world, dancing in the world, automatically you will perform actions. You will perform lots of actions. Those actions are therefore potentially, each and every one of them, proportionally, depending on their relevance, they are possible to produce karma for you, your personal karma. And thus, consecration and karma yoga is the only active way of protecting oneself from karma in the meaning that one in spirituality is trying to diminish that karma. A simple example which gets even amplified in a tantric school is, for example, let's take a, a significant action which can have many karmic implications. Lovemaking in itself. On one hand, in the Tantric Yoga, we define lovemaking like there can be lovemaking with continents, and lovemaking with continents doesn't have many, doesn't bear many of the inferior characteristics which we ascribe to sexuality in the animal way, but at the same time, while lovemaking can be redefined, there is animal sex and then there is spiritual lovemaking the tantric way, even the spiritual lovemaking can still produce lots of karmic effects. Think about the fact that it produces in you and in the other person lots of emotions, lots of thoughts, lots of reactions, 
sometimes physical effects, even if those physical effects are effects of getting healed or feeling much better, or, but still those are powerful effects. So physically, in a subtle astral mental way, as well as even in a spiritual way, the lovemaking, even when it is a continent lovemaking, it is actually loaded with karmic implications. That is why consecration can help here a lot. First of all, to sail through the ocean of Tantra without creating karmic consequences. Not to mention that consecration, as said very clearly in our karma lecture original presentation from the first level of yoga, consecration produces a phenomenon of beneficial possession, like of being supported by the divine consciousness, and as such consecration, even in the context of lovemaking, <clears throat> can produce healing. Consecration can, for example, help with the sublimation of energy or with a sexual continence for people who still are struggling with that one. And that is why consecration is indeed a powerful force. And especially when you deal with acts which are relevant, then automatically it should be taken into account. In terms of consecration, the most widespread form of consecration, way of doing it, is of course a formal consecration, which means I intend to do something, I formally sit down, stand up, whatever, and consecrate. That's kind of 80% <coughs> of what is done in terms of consecration. <coughs> Teachers, when teaching yoga, are consecrating. When initiations into mantras are given to you, we all do consecrate. Because, let's say, a teacher of yoga gives an initiation, which is a priceless gift. We cannot really measure this. It does not have a financial equivalent. Like, how much could a Kali mantra cost? There isn't such a thing. It's obviously a karmic thing, which goes way beyond costs or something. And let's say a teacher gives an initiation in the Kali mantra, which is a gift, because if somebody is the future Ramakrishna, then they are going to take the Kali Mantra, work with it, fall in love more and more with Kali, go deeper and deeper, get at the level where there is true communion, get at the level where miracles appear, get at the level where there is transformation of consciousness and enlightenment. Therefore, there can be lots of effects of transformation of one's life. If the teacher has not consecrated and gives that, then the teacher will simply deserve to receive the same gift. Like, come back in the next life, and somebody will initiate you in the Kali Mantra, because you gave it to somebody. That's karma. It's simply action and reaction. You gave the Kali Mantra to 20 people, then you have to come back 20 times, to get it 20 times over. It's as simple as that. That's why some of these actions are very big. They have a very huge potential in terms of future lives, karmic consequences. Most people, they don't see, they can't see the consequences of such actions, and they take them as minimal. You would guess that when a teacher gives you a mantra, ah, it's more or less a formality. But it depends of how much conscience you have about that. 
then you realize that things cannot be and are actually not as simple as that. So the first thing is, of course, that consecration is a formal thing. The second mentioned by yogis is that consecration can sometimes be automatic. That's a very slippery slope, which is usually reserved to people who have reached to major states of samadhi. And I would like to repeat, to major states of samadhi, because only at such levels some phenomena can become an automatic consecration. A fundamental text of Kashmirian Tantra, of Kashmiri Shaivism, means the Shiva Sutra, they, when they speak about a person that has reached a certain degree of enlightenment, they say for such person, the movements of the body become mudras, the words become mantras, and everything is imbued with this divine consciousness and consequences. And therefore, the implication is very clear. If Abhinava Gupta, the Grand Master, as much as touches you on your head, that has the value of a mudra. It's an initiation. It's a shaktipata. It's a, a word which is being said from that state of consciousness is a mantra. There are people who received a few words from a guru and they went home and they were moved and touched and they repeated them and they built on them and they capitalized on them and their whole life was changed because a guru told them a few words of power which for those people became like a motto, became like a directing line of their lives. In such case, Abhinava Gupta, the Grand Master, did not make first a formal consecration and then said a few words of wisdom or every time he wanted to give a blessing or to touch somebody even in a protective or friendly way on their head, had to stop first to make a consecration for that because Abhinava Gupta was talking and he was reported being in states of samadhi. And therefore, there exists a level of work on the crown chakra, of accomplishment of the crown chakra, where these things appear. However, people should not get fooled by these things. Remember that you have to be like safe, better safe than sorry, and therefore these levels are reserved to the people who have reached an expertise and they have the responsibility for it. Automatic consecration is reserved to people whose life is a consecration, who live in this way. And then, of course, there is the famous subsequent consecration. You do something, you didn't realize it was going to become that relevant, and it's impossible to stop it in the middle, like when you are riding a roller coaster or something, and then you should do the consecration afterwards. For it is a famous thing that Mahatma Gandhi was doing many of his consecrations depending on the fruits of the results, he, of the fruits of the action. He was not reaching yet a monistic point of view, a unified, a non-dualistic point of view on reality. And someone, a journalist, asked him, Mr. Gandhi, you claim you do karma yoga, does it mean that all your actions you give them to God? And he said, no. I actually give to God only my successes and my good actions. The stupidities are mine. They, I can't give my stupidities to God. This contains an, a partial misunderstanding 
and great yogis like Aurobindo they have said that was not correctly said and it appears that Gandhi himself evolved from that position. Aurobindo said in a monistic universe even your stupidities belong to God and you have to give them to God. There is nothing which does not belong to the whole, to the totality. And that is why, as one of these great yogis said, Gandhi should have consecrated even his fiascos, even the failures, because it's exactly like Paul, the apostle of Christ, says in the Bible, either you know it or not, we all belong to the Lord. Like everything, anyway, belongs to this totality, to this cosmic consciousness, to this living universe in which we exist. And that is why, why not simply acknowledge it? Because consecrating it is just expressing a truth. All this is yours. It's yours anyway. If I am saying, uh, my actions do not belong to God, they are my actions, but I belong to God. So if the actions belong to me, indirectly they will still go to the divine consciousness. I am just creating a temporary wall which hinders my evolution and which creates a sort of obstacle, a slowing down, and which will be... I mean, I can keep my actions to myself for selfishly for 5,000 lifetimes, and then one day I will get the urge for liberation, the bodhicitta, the aspiration, and then I will turn back and say, sorry, 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 oh God, how stupid I could be. All my actions from the previous 5,000 lives, now I realize, please take them, at least now, in the last moment, you know, just I offer them. Therefore, we can try to keep, but we can keep nothing forever, because separate from the ocean of consciousness, we do not exist forever. Nothing exists forever. And that is why, remember that consecration can obviously be done subsequently, because nothing is ever out of the divine consciousness. And it's stupid to say, oh, this one I did it without consecrating. It means it can't be given to God. Why? Everything can be given to God because everything belongs to God anyway. And therefore, this is just a limitation of our consciousness because people think in a very logical Sherlock Holmes-like way, like you did something and the divine consciousness was not there participating and now afterwards you shamelessly offer it to the divine consciousness as if the divine consciousness was supposed to know in advance what you are going to do and of your intention to consecrate, and that's absurd. But everybody who thinks like this forgets that the divine consciousness is beyond time. It's not limited by past, present and future. This way of thinking that we did it after or before or this or that, it's only a way in which we hypnotize ourselves that it's not possible. It's always much better to consecrate than not to consecrate, even if it is in time at a different date. People would say, so Swami, can I consecrate something really shitty which happened in my childhood? Do it, and you will see a miracle. You will see the truthfulness of the dictum, which one of the prophets of the Old Testament says to his brothers, they are trying to kill him or something, and he became the counsel of the Pharaoh, and then when the Jews were suffering from a great famine, they went to 
beg food from the Egyptians and their own brother whom they had tried to kill was there, the counselor of the Pharaoh. And they are so ashamed that they came now to be saved as a whole community by the one man that they wanted to kill. And this man being really wise, he tells them, brothers, do not be sorry. God has turned your evil into something good. Like if, I, if you wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have been the counselor of the Pharaoh today. And today when you'd come to ask for food, somebody who doesn't know you and doesn't care about you would be in charge of this job. And they will simply tell you, go away. We don't want to see you. We don't want to help you. So in a certain way, a greater good resulted because you did something stupid. But that's the intervention of the divine consciousness. The divine consciousness of God is like an alchemist. It can turn poison into medicine. It can turn lead into gold. It can turn fiasco into success. That is why it is very important to consecrate everything, even subsequently, because the divine consciousness does not react to time. Only you are blinded by time and you think it's too late. Give everything to the divine consciousness. Therefore, remember, formal consecration, spontaneous consecration for those who have reached high levels of enlightenment and the subsequent consecration when you are surpassed, when you are taken by surprise by events or when you look simply at things from your past. People dealing with consecration in this style of karma yoga, spiritualizing their lives through action, through daily life, they do consecration such as consecration of the day. Christian mystics, and it's happening in almost every religion, they wake up in the morning and then they say a prayer which says, now that I woke up, may this day belong to God May I live in virtue and da, 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 and so on. It's a consecration. It's a request which basically says, this day shall be the day of God. And you do that every day. And then you have consecration of the night. No, you consecrate some, for example, in Tantra, some men are complaining, uh, I'm still suffering from nocturnal emissions because my power of absorption of my fluids is not entirely developed and my body can't take the pressure, and sometimes I might have, or I'm too much in Svadhisthana, and sometimes I might have a nocturnal emission. Yeah, but if you consecrated the night and everything which is happening in it to Shiva, then whatever is happening is consecrated. People will say, what do you mean, Swami? That if you consecrate the night and you have a nocturnal ejaculation, and will Shiva take care of that? That's exactly what I'm saying. But the problem is that people don't do the consecration. And of course, people expect some visible, miraculous, standardized results, not understanding that the cosmic consciousness is infinite and infinitely subtle, and therefore it has its own ways of dealing with the human life, with the human evolution. It doesn't work in linear, predictable ways. And that is why consecration of the day consecration of the night and of the sleep, like what's going to happen with me during the sleep and what am I going to do when I'm fully out of control of myself and the subconscious mind takes over. Consecration of the meals, of the act of eating. 
Some people understand erroneously that when you consecrate, when you eat, you are supposed to consecrate the food, which, by the way, is not the correct attitude, because if you consecrate the food, the food is consecrated to you. That's why you eat it. It's a gift from the universe and from God for you to sustain your life. If you consecrate that food back, then that food will not bring you the prana. That food, will, that food will not bring you the necessary sustenance because you give it. Only through a certain act of grace, the divine consciousness will say, well, he's stupid and he gives me back his prana. Let me just send it back to him anyway. Because, but, but otherwise, remember that when you consecrate a meal, you are not consecrating the food. Because the food is already, by common sense, consecrated to the one who eats it. What you consecrate is the act of eating. For example, the Buddhists in Buddhist meditation retreats when they pray, they have those of you who have been and said that prayer many, many days in a row, you know it. May this food not be used for my beatification and for vanity and for just uh, useless purposes. May this food be to keep my body healthy and, and so I can meditate and reach nirvana. Like it's, the idea is clear. I do not consecrate the food. I consecrate the act of eating. May my eating serve something spiritual. Because I can eat some food and that food can become in me arrogance, vanity, nothingness, fruitlessness. I am full of energy and I don't know what to do. And I go in a shopping mall and shop for six hours non-stop. That's what the energy of the food gave to me. No, then what? Then, then I would have rather fasted. Then fasting would have been more healthy because it would have kept me from wasting myself aimlessly and doing something which is of no great use for any spiritual purpose. And that is why I am, when consecrating the meals, this is one, one of the typical confusions that is being done. We consecrate the act of eating. It's more like in many religions when spiritual people eat, they express a sort of gratitude that Mother Nature sacrifices herself to let you live. Especially if you are not a vegetarian, it's typically visible. But even for vegetarians, it's true in a more subtle way that to eat, you have to sacrifice animals, plants, life. Life has to be sacrificed for you to eat. And this nature generously sacrifice herself every day for billions of individuals and for animals and for others. And the whole universe is daily a holocaust, a full-on sacrifice in which a part of the nature is killed so that the other part of the nature can live and thrive and blossom and, and progress. And that is why Conscious people make a thank for this. It's like, okay, I understand that even if I'm a vegetarian, the chickpea and the carrot and whatever is sacrificed for me. Nature creates all those products and then gives them to me. They are for me to feel good, to live, to grow up. And thus, I can express gratitude. It's a consecration in which says, I am going to eat this produce from nature. May I eat it with some use. May I eat, may it be worth it. 
because I'm eating it and I can simply waste my time on this planet, waste everybody's time on this planet. I'm simply a consumer of resources and I'm converting oxygen into carbon dioxide and more than that I'm not doing. And then the nature is kind of right. We are sustaining this one and this one is kind of like useless, converting oxygen into carbon dioxide. No, it's like, sure, everybody is useful in the big picture because everybody is a divine spirit involved in evolution. But when we speak about the great purposes of life, evolving at an accelerated rate and reaching spiritual fulfillment, automatically um, we want to have this feeling of meaningfulness of life. And thus, we speak about consecration, not only of day and night and meals, and, but generally of all the important actions. I have seen in my life people becoming maniacal, people with a very skewed understanding of life, action, karma, yoga, and spirituality, who would start consecrating crazy actions, like totally insignificant little things. They would always say, let's consecrate this, let's consecrate that. While that is like an awareness, like, oh, you are constantly aware of the great purpose of life. You are constantly aware of the fact that there is a cosmic consciousness of which we are part. And why. That's beautiful. But unfortunately, I've seen on such people that because of their skewed understanding, this became mechanical. Those people were just maniacal. They did remember, but they did remember in a fanatical, sectarian, blind, zombie-like way. And their remembrance was not a remembrance. It was just a parrot-like repetition of something. The consecration, of course, if somebody has the urge to consecrate and consecrate, that's beautiful. But again, it should be focused on things of relevance. Either those things are magic. Like in India, the Brahmins and the Orthodox Hindus, they go and offer water to the sun. They go in the Ganges up till their waist and they start taking water in the palm and they offer it with mantras to the sun. The idea being that the sun is always hot and burning and as such the sun gets thirsty. So if you offer apastatva, if you offer the essence of water, the energy, the prana from the water, the sun feels like balanced, of course, in an infinitesimal way, but it's the intention that matters. It's the gesture. It's your kindness which says, my dear son, you are burning with heat. Here is some coolness for you. And therefore, this is a magic way. Like This is not a simple superstition. And we are going to talk about this. This is a consecration which relies mostly on a magic effect. But still, it's not something which is done mechanically all the time at every juncture. It's not done absurdly, aberrantly, as I said. That's why remember that if you start consecrating the toothbrushing and everything, it's like your consecrations become empty. You don't put value into them because you do it all the time and it becomes a reflex and you are doing it like a robot. Gurdjieff said that the mechanized man, the robotic man, cannot remember himself. And therefore, in the moment when you try to remember yourself in a mechanical way, even the remembrance becomes mechanized. Mechanized human beings who do not work on their crown chakra, 
they are going to do even acts of remembrance in a mechanical way. Like there are people who say you should ceaselessly do prayer. And this thing which the Hesychasts came up first, the non-stop prayer, the prayer of Jesus 24-7, you should repeat it when you, even when you dream and when you talk to people and when you eat, the prayer should flow non-stop in your heart. And it was absorbed a lot in the Islamic world later, they found it. And you can see often in the Islamic world, people who have a small rosary in their hand and constantly they move the fingers as if they are saying Allah Akbar or something like this. And maybe they even think that they say it. But for most of those people, it's a mockery. They do it because that's what everybody does and that's how you look that you are a decent, God-fearing person. But it doesn't really happen. The awareness is not there. It's the robotic person, the robotic human being, playing like a monkey, monkeying an act of awareness. The fingers are moving. The mala is there. But the awareness is not there anymore. That's why the, the consecration has to be a little bit like stop and really do it. Really do it. That's very, very important. It is also very difficult when you make a consecration of the day to cover unexpected actions in advance. If, for example, you know that today you are going to meet with your boyfriend and make love, from the very morning you can say, I consecrate this day and feel and feel. And also by the afternoon I'm going to meet with my boyfriend and make love and I consecrate that as well. But remember that these there are predictable actions and then some of them change. Either that thing won't happen, like the boyfriend can't make it to the date, or something else is happening, you have to help somebody to go to the hospital to do something. Like there would be actions which are impredictable, and for those ones to do just a full day consecration is not enough, because you did not have that in the field of your consciousness when you did the consecration. Only what you knew in advance that would happen and you could see and offer, that thing could be offered. But things which are popping up unexpectedly, they have to be consecrated separately. They do not work on an automatic full-day consecration. Consecration is done to the highest. And this is very important to say. Like when we speak, when we give example about how it works in Buddhism, because the, in most Buddhist lineages, they don't have personified forms of divinity. And when you consecrate, you consecrate to the Dharmakaya, you consecrate to the three jewels, you consecrate to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, you consecrate to the Buddhas of the past, present, and future, you consecrate to the good of all the sentient beings. There exist all sorts of formulas for consecration, which shows a very simple thing, that consecration must be done to the highest purpose, which there is according to your understanding. Remember that for your spiritual nature, it won't make any difference. Some people say, oh, but Buddha expresses only the void as a goal, and he doesn't speak about Bhava Samadhi or Sahaja Samadhi, where we are talking about the personality also in embedded into the manifestation like Prakriti and Purusha 
the non-manifestation and the manifestation, and it's a much, much more complete, ideal, and blah, 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 all the rest. But nevertheless, remember, this supreme goal of the human beings, which we can call God, is something which you can call God, but you don't understand it. The words don't mean anything. They are just a symbol. The words cannot circumscribe something which is beyond space, beyond time, beyond causality, beyond mind, beyond language. And that is why we can call something abracadabra or God or the great void or the Buddhas of the past, present and future or something. And it's just a very abstract concept. We put a name and maybe we have some emotional representations about it. That's all. Anyway, we can't name it and we can't define it much as we desperately try. And that is why it is clear in psychology that your subconscious mind, which stretches between the conscious mind at the lowest end and Atman, the supreme reality, the supreme consciousness at the higher end, this huge buffer, which is the subconscious mind and which at the higher end again connects us with God and at the lower end connects us with the daily life mind, with the conscious mind, the subconscious mind knows the address People say, if I make a consecration to God, how do I make sure it goes there? That's none of your business because the subconscious mind knows already the address. It's exactly like you would send a letter and you would put on it to the king of Thailand and mail it. Every mailman will know what that is, where that should go. You don't even need to say anything more. It's exactly in the same way in the moment when you have emitted an idea in your subconscious mind, your subconscious mind doesn't need any further clarification. And that's why it, if either you are a theistic person or not, you are anyway defining the highest point. The theistic people say there is a God consciousness which is absolute, eternal, infinite, perfect, immutable and all the rest. To that we consecrate. And the Buddhist or some other religious idea would say, oh, there is a Buddha nature which is absolute, perfect, infinite, immutable, and eternal. To that one we consecrate. The name is of no importance. In the moment when you define something which is absolute, eternal, immutable, and all that thing, there is only one of those in the whole universe and in your whole psyche. Your subconscious mind knows, can know, only of one thing which is perfect, immutable, absolute and all that thing. That's why when you say it, it's like you give it a label, it's like you give it a nickname because your subconscious mind will work there anyway. That's why every time when you make a consecration it should be done to the highest or to something which in your perception of things is related directly to the highest. Like it works in the tantric tradition to make also consecration to the cosmic powers, for example. Because by definition, a cosmic power is nothing else but an aspect of God. And therefore, when you consecrate something to the right index finger of God, you consecrate it to God because the right index finger of God cannot be separated from God. And thus, but that has to be clear to you If you have not that clear concept, then it's better for you to think about the highest there is. Remember, this is important. For many people, it causes confusion. 
and this is related with a bigger issue defined very well by Bhagavad Gita, which in this season you will hear it commented, because Krishna there expands the limit and he says there are many people who do consecration, but they don't do it to the highest. And therefore their consecration will work, and that's the principle of magic, but their consecration will not yield karma yoga results, it will not yield divine results. Krishna defines the three, fa- the three other forms of consecration than yoga consecration, divine consecration, karma yoga consecration. There are three other forms, and those three other forms of consecration, he defines them according to the three gunas, which you learned in the second level of yoga in this school. And there is tamasic consecration, there is rajasic consecration, there is sattvic consecration. Tamasic consecration means to consecrate to the forces of darkness. And pay attention, paradoxically, here is, are included even some of the low spirits of nature, which are not necessarily evil, they are just blind. Here are included the spirits of the animals, which again are a lower, darker level of consciousness than human. And here are included even the dead the spirits of the dead, the ancestors. There are many religions in which shamans, for example, consecrate to the ancestors. Krishna puts any form of consecration to the ancestors on a tamasic level, like that's the lowest of all of them. Spiritually, that is on a dark level. It doesn't mean, again, that to give energy to the ancestors is not a positive thing, as we teach in the Art of Dying workshops, but there is a very fine line between helping the ancestors, communicating with the ancestors, and taking your ancestors for God, like praying to the ancestors, like let them decide for you, let them be your guiding light. They are not. There is a huge difference there. So remember that there is consecration which is lower. That is of a very great concern for us when we teach the art of dying so that people should not understand it in a skewed way and start worshipping the dead, for example, necromantic or something like that. That's not at all what the yogis do and it's not at all the purpose of spirituality. And at the same time... um, making sure that one does not get caught into these forces. If you, for example, have a special attraction for dead and dying, death and dying, you can become a death and dying activist and you get collected by those forces, you get captivated, you get accaparated, you get like entangled into that and that becomes a tamasic form of consecration. Therefore, remember that Krishna is very puritanic when he talks about this, and you'll hear it in the Bhagavad Gita commentaries, because uh, he insists that what he's talking about and the real yoga consecration is only to God. Nothing can substitute for that. That has a totally different nature, and I'm going to show (coughs) the difference. There is consecration, to the demons, to what the Indians call the Asuras and what the Greeks were calling the Titans or the Giants. 
those huge powerful spirits who are almost as powerful as the gods, but while the gods were good guys in general, the Asuras or the Titans were generally more rough, more wrathful, more dangerous, more egocentric, more violent, more... That is an illustration of the plane of Rajas, the Rajas Guna. And consecrating to the Titans is actually what many people do today. Modern day Tantrics have seen that that's what's happening, for example, in the stock exchange. The stock exchange is ruled by spirits which are in the class of Asuras, of the Titans. So therefore, to make money that way is to make money in a Rajasic way. People who are Rajasic, it was Ramakrishna who used to say that in his time he perceived the Western culture and especially the American culture with its enterprising spirit as being an expression of Rajas, this ambition this ambition to achieve, this super-achieving thing, he perceived it as a rajas at the level of the mind. And then, when you look at it, look a modern documentary like The Corporation, published some 10 years ago, where they show that the corporation has the mentality, all corporations, all the capitalistic corporations, except a few made on purpose to show the alternative, are actually having the mentality of a schizophrenic person. They, they have actions which if a human being would do, that human being would be considered psychologically alienated and schizophrenic. And therefore, that's why the corporations serve the asuras. That's where you put the energy with a corporation and with all these things. Of course, some people have done wise corporations and trying spiritual things, like even Swami Shivananda started a sort of corporation, which he called the divine life. Even the Christian church or the Sufi temples can be considered a corporation or a firm, in the meaning of a firm, in the modern understanding of the society. But of course there can be some which are based on sattvic and on transcendent aspects. And then all this typical thing for power, for money, for expansion, for this, it is based on the Asura level. It's the Rajas aspect of Ajna Chakra. And this can be, there are so many illustrations of this. Try to realize that, for example, in the Second World War, both Japan and Germany were having some mystical beliefs that all that enterprise of theirs, the famous Third Reich and so on, there was a mysticism into it that was a very skewed and demonic mysticism. And it was not so much a mysticism about let's worship the dead, the shamanic type. It was a mysticism of the German said, let's worship Wotan. Let's word, let the gods, the Germanic gods give us power and so on. In the name of that, a lot of people have been killed. And guess what? While on one hand we have a karma... On the other hand, we have the magic effects of it. Somebody was noticing with surprise and said Germany and Japan were squashed militarily and economically in the end of the Second World War. And in the 70s and 80s, they were the biggest economies in their energy, in their field, in their geographic field. Why? Because the Asuras 
gave them back something. They sacrificed life to the Asuras, exactly like you cut the throat of a chicken, and the Asuras gave them back. Why did the Asuras do that? Because the Asuras don't care about your morality and if it's nice or not. It's magic. It's witchcraft. You give something to the Asuras, the Asuras give you something back. It's as simple as that. It's power. Power on Manipura. That's all there is to it. And therefore, remember thus that the consecration can be of the demonic type, of the rajasic type, very dangerous and very much practiced today. It is, this is the typical example of the person who would sell their soul. They would sell their soul to get rich, to get powerful. They would sell their mother, as a dictum says. They would sell anything and anybody just because they thirst for power and uh, similar things. It is exactly what the British Empire, that was not more holy at all, did for getting proeminence, like they put China on opium with East India Company and many, many other conquests and with a Boer War in South Africa and others and others, like conquer, kill, just to have power. So this is, again, the same thing, and many political institutions, think tanks and others were just meant to serve these things. Like when the famous round table was created by Milner or whoever, by Rhodes, they created it to just keep the British Empire going because they realized that it will start going down and they simply said, let's find smart ways to still have the British Empire going without calling it the British Empire because the the sheep will stand up. The Indians will say, we want independence. So then let's make a commonwealth. Let's make English an international language. Let's make London a financial center and Wall Street. And, you know, like let's keep the English language. It's, it's still, this is a form of Asuric, demonic thing in which power, empires, finances, and a lot of things are actually done from the standpoint of consecration to the Asuras. The third consecration which is beneficial but not yet good enough is consecration to the gods, consecration to the devas. Those are the gods of light and they are essentially benign. Although when you look at some of the gods from the Greek mythology and the Germanic mythology and others, their characteristics are rather demonic, rajasic, and not sattvic. But anyway, in some pantheons, in some spiritualities, in some mythologies, we also talk about gods that are really, really high, and sattvic, and gods of light. Like, for example, the Greeks, after they got confronted with all the bizarre behaviors of Zeus and all the other gods of the Greek pantheon, then they shifted to Apollon. Above all of them, we have Apollo, Apollon, who is the sun and who is like much more than the others. And they had a sort of neo-pantheon, a neo-Greek polytheism, in which this time Apollon, the sun, was uh, Surya Deva, as in uh, Hindu mythology. So what I'm trying to say here, there is also consecration to the higher gods. This is sattvic, people who are trying to preach sattvic things, 
Like, for example, the whole Vedic culture is based on this. Do fire ceremonies, do sacrifices to the gods, and the sattvic gods are going to keep your society healthy, harmonious, beneficial. As long as you nourish the gods, the gods give you back a sattvic thing. And we can see that some traditional societies, such as the Vedic Brahminic society from India, it lasted for centuries and centuries and for thousands of years and thousands of years, puritanic, generally spiritual, even if today that is not the case. But if you would have come 400 years ago in India, even at the time of Ramakrishna, 150 years ago, if you would have come to India, you would have still found the typical Indian Brahmins and the very sattvic, pure, living according to the laws of Manu and other ancient texts and precepts, the Brahma Sutras and other things. That is consecration to the gods. It's consecrating to the devas, which in exchange they are going to give you a sattvic life, a sattvic society. The advantage of this one being, of course, the fact that this inclines you to meditation, purity, yoga, and ascension. The tamasic life and energy and consecration is pulling you down into entropy, into laziness, into forgetfulness, into oblivion. The rajasic one makes you go horizontally like chicken that have their throat cut off and they are just hopping aimlessly. That's the modern society to a large extent in its in its aim for richness, power, and other things. Ambition, this ambition, this egocentric ambition. And finally, we have the sattvic thing, which is very rare today. You find it in some societies. Many people, for example, and I don't want to give necessarily that example, because I know of many ups and downs of it, but in a society like quick and fast and like you have the American modern society, you would find also people like the, let's say, the Amish, who just live in countryside without electricity, according to morals and ethics, which are 200 years old or 500 years old, a patriarchal lifestyle. There is something which is a bit more sattvic there, and those people would not say, yeah, let's invest in the stock exchange, let's conquer the world, let's expand, let's do this, let's do that. There would exist still communities or people who would like to be in a more, no, 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 we don't have neither laziness and obscurity, but we also don't have ambition and expansion. There is a third modality, sattva, the modality of balance, purity, harmony. And again, to make it clear, Krishna says, neither if you consecrate to the ancestors, spirits of the dead or dark spirits, nor if you consecrate to the asuras, to the spirits of power, nor if you consecrate to the devas even, you don't make karma yoga and you do not divinize yourself. It's true that if you consecrate to the devas, that is a good preparation, it's a good platform, it's a good springboard for that society. And in such a society, you will have Ramakrishnas, and you'll have Abhinavaguptas, and you'll have people like that, and that society will be blessed with more, with more enlightened beings being born into it, and spirituality will be there more favored. It's like a fertile ground 
for more spirituality, while, for example, the Tamasic societies and the Rajasic societies are not at all fertile for uh, spirituality. They are very distracting and very deviating. But that is a subject which I'm going to approach more in the Bhagavad Gita. I just wanted to come here and remind that only the highest type of consecration will do. The consecration, it doesn't matter if you call it the Buddha nature or God or cosmic consciousness, only that one is the consecration that we talk about. Consecration, when you make a consecration for some action, remember that you con- what you consecrate are the fruits of the action. Not every single partial action. Like you are building a birdhouse. And then you say, now I take uh, this piece of plywood and I'm going to hammer it onto that other one piece of plywood. I consecrate this. That's ridiculous. You consecrate the final fruit of it that there is going to be made a birdhouse and that birdhouse will be put to help the birds nest and drink and so on. You don't need to go into the details. It's exactly like you make a travel for a purpose and you consecrate your travel and your travel is made of two flights. You have to change an airplane somewhere in an airport. You don't consecrate this flight and this flight. You can consecrate the whole travel knowing that those actions are being included into it because the consecration is not the flight. You do not consecrate the fact that you fly. You consecrate the fruits of the action. I do this because my thought is that and I want to consecrate that particular thing. The confirmation of the consecration, this response which we get, is something which differs from individual to individual. Remember that we always say that many people when they do a very good consecration with a great surrender and devotion, they feel some shudder in Sahasrara, some goosebump-like feeling along the spine, sometimes going down to the heart chakra. It's a sort of a transfiguring thing, like something descends through you. Uh, That is maybe 80% of the people have something of that. Sometimes the consecration can be answered in some other ways. And remember that uh, it depends very much on the temperament. If the person is kinesthetic, visual, auditory, it depends on so many other things. I remember and I often told that story that when I started making yoga courses in Kopangan, it was after a traumatic event that we had to move out of India because of conflict with the Indian bribery and other things there. And we moved and basically we were here in a place which was known only for full moon parties. And we moved in this island and I came here with a suitcase and with two pupils who followed me from India. And we didn't know anybody. We didn't have any connection. There were no yoga halls in those days. We were teaching yoga in a barn which had been used as a candle factory before that so therefore everything seemed to be contrary and actually as i tell to our teachers from the ttc i the first class one person came there was one pupil who came to the yoga classes an elderly german lady 
who didn't stay much and didn't continue with Agama, like she was not even very much into yoga and this. And so it started, and of course, before I started all these things, I went in Bovi Resort, where our first yoga hall was, I went on one of those bungalows which face the sea. Now most of them are demolished and new ones are being built. And I did my consecration. And in the moment when I opened my eyes after the consecration, which of course I did feel some response to it, but you can always say, oh, it's subjective and you are making it up and you are making it happen. That's one of the biggest obstacles people have in believing in their own consecration. And then right in front of me, there was a big, beautiful rainbow right there. No? So it's like sometimes the answer to consecration may come in some other ways, especially when it's a big thing, significant, where you really need to put your heart into it. Therefore, remember that the confirmation of the consecration, be open. It happens usually as an internal feeling that you get to understand better and better, but it can happen in other ways. Also be open to the fact that sometimes lack of confirmation is also possible. Doesn't happen very often, but it does. I still remember a situation in which I was teaching yoga in the communist years in Romania, and it was at a, at a time when some other people dealing with this had been arrested and put in prison, so it was like really a time of pressure and terror because the communist authorities, especially in Romania, not in all the communist countries, were rabidly against yoga. They considered yoga a sort of terrible danger and threat to the communist uh, mentality. And it was forbidden. And I was teaching illegally in people's houses. I was making meeting with small groups of people and were teaching in apartment-like conditions. And one of the evenings before I left, I made my consecration and I didn't get any answer. So I simply didn't go. I skipped. In those days, we didn't have mobile telephones or anything. That's 27 years ago or something. I didn't go. And until today, I have the feeling that if I would have gone, I would have been arrested because there was some surveillance going on. I can't confirm it because I didn't go and this didn't happen. But the feeling was there, and therefore I'm telling you that even in some very serious issues, a lack of consecration, a lack of confirmation can occur. For me, teaching yoga was totally committed, and it was a dead serious business. I would not skip it for anything in the world. And yet, in that particular circumstance, once in seven years or in six years, I did although I intended to roughly speak for one hour for the first half of this, there are still a few ideas which came from various questions which some of your colleagues asked before time. And that's why I intended to get you started already by answering some of these questions and by presenting some of the basic ideas about consecration, both in terms of karma yoga and in terms of a spiritual life of living a spiritual life. And let's continue. Another important idea to be emphasized is that the state of consecration must be preserved and renewed along some long-term tasks, especially if you wanted to give major spiritual results. In the consecration, we have two levels. The first level, it's like with tantric yoga. When we make the lecture on tantric yoga, there is 
the level of retention, and then there is the level of sublimation. And everybody knows that if you just do retention, that doesn't mean that you automatically also do sublimation. Somebody who does sexual retention doesn't necessarily become Shiva and Parvati in their relationships because you need to sublime and consecrate that energy. In a similar way, with Karma Yoga, when you see the lecture on Karma Yoga, there are two levels there. And one of them is detachment, and the second of them is consecration. And that means if you practice detachment, you don't get the karma. The karma of the actions does not touch the one who acts in a state of detachment. But consecration does something more. It makes you evolve because you consecrate to God and the divine consciousness interferes actively in your life because you invited it and you allowed it to come in your life and thus you are being transformed and you understand and you evolve and you grow up spiritually. If you just detach but you do not consecrate, it's like you retain the sexual energy but you do not sublime it. Therefore, detachment is not enough. Consecration is necessary. And the state of consecration must be preserved. If I do a consecration, I this action I consecrated. Okay, once I feel the answer and once I stick within the limits of what my consecration is, the magic of it is there. But at the same time, Remember that I want to do an act of karma yoga in a certain state of spirit and I would like to have, feel it like a meditation. I would like to feel my crown chakra getting stronger and stronger. I would like to feel this state of divine possession, of being integrated with the divine consciousness. That is not enough. If I did the consecration, that's enough so that I don't get the karma. But if I want to be guided and inspired, then I have to keep that state of consecration. Which means sometimes, even yoga teachers know this, they make a consecration in the beginning of a yoga class, and then by the middle of the yoga class, if they are not attentive, they simply may fall into a mechanical routine. But if when they reach almost to the middle of the yoga class, they stop a little bit, and even without the pupils knowing what's happening, they consecrate again or they remember the consecration. They recall it. They say, what the heck am I doing? Who am I? Where am I? What's happening right now? What am I doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? They remember immediately, automatically who they are and that they are under consecration. And that quiver of energy, that feeling where your hair stand, are like standing on an end, comes back to you. And there are yoga teachers, when they teach, they do this. Every time, all the time during the yoga session, they constantly remember, remind to themselves, I am under consecration, I am teaching yoga, I am in communion with Shiva, the Lord of Yoga, I am acting like a channel for this, and they keep this state constantly there. Same thing is valid even if you sweep the floor. You do a karma yoga which is related with cleaning a place or something. Even that one can be done more mechanically or with full awareness. Remember that this full awareness will help you advance faster. The consecration, the first level, the mechanical one, is just good enough for not getting the karmic 
results, which is also a big thing, but you want more than just to stay away from karma. You want to be inspired to, be, to go deeper. At the same time, another idea is that we do not always <clears throat> also understand the fruits of action and consecration since we do not see the big picture both in time and in space. Like we do a consecration, we do an action, and then it seems it's not going to succeed. Try to think. For example, Ramakrishna did many things for yoga. So did Swami Shivananda. And today, there are more people practicing spiritual-oriented yoga in the West than in India. So if Swami Shivananda would have said, I'm doing this ashram in Rishikesh and I'm doing this, and then he would have looked a bit in time and said, but oh my God, the whole thing is declining. It's so bad. In a hundred years, nobody will really... Yes, but what about in space? That somewhere else on this planet, somebody did benefit from the action of Swami Shivananda. Even you are benefiting from the wisdom of Sivananda because I'm quoting it from you, for you. I'm recommending books. I myself am impressed and touched and impregnated and thus molded by some of the wisdom of Swami Shivananda. And therefore, it doesn't need to be where you want it and how you want it and when you want it. Consecration is a very big thing where you have to be open to the fact that the effects may be different than what you expect because you consecrated the fruits of that action. The fruits of that action don't belong to you anymore. And therefore, they are not going to be what you expected. Sometimes, yes, because there are common sense circumstances and things which are obvious. But sometimes you consecrate and suddenly things, although everything was good, the feeling was good, the response was there, still it doesn't feel like the whole thing is going in the right direction. That's why be prepared to understand consecration beyond space and time in a much bigger picture. Consecration allows pure miracles to happen by a sort of divine possession. You stand up eight hours and you do a job and you are not even tired afterwards. You do some amazing things and you are like carried on the wings of angels by a power which is supernatural. That is therefore to be remembered that you expect that when you do consecration, sometimes you see these aspects very clearly. And that's exactly what transforms us. Remember also as another idea that good actions which are not consecrated, they will give you a good karma. But that karma is compulsory. You will have to come back to this planet to enjoy the results of that good karma. You can't give it up. When consecrated... God will give you the cosmic consciousness, the Buddhas of the past, present and future. I know that some of you are allergic to the word God. God will give you exactly what you need, like a loving parent would do. Like, for example, there are people who say, Swami, I have a bad karma because maybe in a previous life or even in this one or something, I killed some children. That's a very bitter karma. And now my guru told me, to work with children, to go to Mother Teresa and feed children, help children, save the lives of children. I, am, I want to do that. 
But on the other hand, as far as I understood, it's like this. I'm having a few lives to pay. I have a real negative karma. And if I would be doing good to some children, I would get that positive karma. But you are asking me to do karma yoga, which means not to get that good karma, which actually I need, but just to offer it to God, to give it up. Shouldn't I first do it without consecration until I feel that I balanced my negative karma and then start doing consecrations when I don't need it, when I'm about to go with my account on the plus, then to start consecrating? This shows a total lack of understanding and a lack of surrender and a lack of trust because the divine consciousness knows better than you do what you need. And as Jesus said in the Bible, if you who are imperfect and generally still know what to give to your children when they need it, how much more the divine consciousness knows exactly what you needed and shall give it to you exactly when you need it and how you need it. Therefore, why not trust? It's an act of surrender in which you say, This is my positive karma, which I'm going to do. I desperately need it because I have done some real shitty stuff. And yet, this being the conditions, I'm giving it to you, O God. You decide what will happen with it. I am giving it up. What a beautiful act of surrender. What a beautiful, like, I am hungry and needy, and yet I'm giving it to the divine. This is the relationship between those. That's why... All the good deeds, even when you have bad karma and you try to fix it, then you better do it with consecration. The divine consciousness will give you what you need. And if there is any rest left over, if there is any supra, then that supra will either be annihilated or redistributed. Or, for example, many Tibetan lamas, when they are doing, and yogis, when they are doing spiritual actions, they said this is for the good of all the sentient beings, like, I know that probably this karma will not come to me because I have already balanced my karmic sheet, but there are people who burn in hell as we speak. There are people, there are hungry ghosts out there. They could use a bit of good karma. They could use a bit of good blessing. So therefore, if I give it to the Buddhas of the past, present and future, Shambhala may take that good karma and redistribute it, give it to some hungry ones who did not have the inspiration to do karma yoga and for whom what I am doing here is redistributed. It is important to think in this way to realize that you can play with the karma in these ways. Remember also another question which is often asked that prayer is not the same thing as consecration and generally cannot replace it. It can replace it only if you are like Saint Mark of Ethiopia and you are fully enlightened and then prayer is everything because you are in Samadhi non-stop. Then, then, but that is exactly like the spontaneous consecration that for some people the movements of their hands are, of their body are mudras and their words are mantras. But otherwise, no, Because people say, I did this and I did a prayer all the time. Good for you. The prayer was giving you resonance with the divine, Sahasrara, but you never said clearly, 
I give the fruits of my action. I renounce them. It's something which has to be done deliberately and clearly. Otherwise, the universe will not snatch them from you. It's not allowed by the laws of freedom and free will. And that is why if you do not consecrate explicitly, do not expect that somebody should be intelligent enough out there to understand that actually you were okay with giving the fruits of the action. You were okay, but you didn't say it. You didn't do it. And therefore, it's not given. It has to be done explicitly. That's why prayer cannot replace it. It's good to do prayer. It's good to be constantly in prayer. But still, you need to do consecration on top of it. Also, it cannot be replaced by some words of power, such as people say, Amen, or let it be so, may it be so, God help, God speed, God bless, may God help, with God ahead, or something. It doesn't. All these words, like if you say, God help me, and then you start doing it. God will help you, because you asked. But that doesn't mean that he will take the fruits of the action, the karma. It has to be asked specifically. You can say, God help me. And then you say, well, since I did it, I even could feel the help of God. Since God helped me, isn't that a consecration? Nope, it is not. Because you did not explicitly do a consecration. Remember, it's very important not to get confused. However... Even if these expressions are not good, on the other hand, feel free to use words, thoughts, or expressions which either are consecrated from history, like, may thy will be done, Jesus, as he said, and others, or use your own words. And you can use it internally or externally. Many people are shy to use words externally because it's embarrassing, but remember, internally... You have to make a way of consecrating, which is your own. And build up a way in which you consecrate your actions to the universe. Some people ask if it's possible that accidentally you don't feel the answer of God because you are busy, tired, not concentrated enough, and you did the consecration and the divine answered, and you were not on and you kind of missed it. That's a childish, again, puerile type of question. Because remember that the cosmic consciousness is almighty. And you'll never say that the divine consciousness says, Whoops! Oscar didn't get it that I said yes. Oh, shucks, I kind of missed. This cannot happen at the level of the almightiness. If it's not there, it's not there. And if it's there, you will be the first to know. It's as simple as that. You cannot think that the divine consciousness does things half-heartedly or half-handedly. It's all full-on when it is. We cannot, however, some people say, well, still, I know that sensitivity can be bigger or smaller. That's true. Some people are not very aware and their sensitivity is on the edge. That's why with yoga practice, with meditation, and with prayer our awareness can generally increase. People who do lots of those become more sensitive and they feel more easily what's all about when they do consecration. Some people say, but Swami, isn't consecration the same thing with activating Sahasrara? Remember, Sahasrara, the crown chakra, has 1,000 spokes. 
There are many, 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 many things and probably there is nobody on this earth who has explored the crown chakra completely and to the bottom of it because the divine consciousness through its very nature is infinite and unfathomable. And that is why Sahasrara can be activated, but it can be not about the consecration thing. It's not that spoke. It's not that aspect. That is why the fact that you say, wow, I could feel my Sahasrara like this, and I was walking and I felt so protected and integrated, and I did it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's why you should not relay, uh, uh, you should not, uh, relay on this, because, rely on this, because... It is, this is not a consecration. It can be, if you are at the level where your gestures become mudras and where your words become mantras, because it is, this is not a consecration. Guarantee that every time you feel a good activation of Sahasrara, that's automatically going to be a spontaneous consecration. As I told you, that's something which applies to people who have reached some masterliness and they understand Sahasrara to a certain extent and then they know of the distinctions. They have a discrimination about what's happening there. Otherwise, even when you feel a good sahasrara, a consecration is also a good idea. And with this we have finished um, the various ideas that I wanted to bring up. These are resulting from questions which are often asked and I prefer to come up with them like this, answering directly some of your questions. They reflect a bit of the yoga lore in which we live about consecration and karma yoga. karmayoga.com slash downloads to agamayoga.com slash downloads to agamayoga.com This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com slash downloads.